welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast, the show where we take a look at the ag tech and food innovations changing the future of farming. Hello and welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast. I'm your host, Steve Honor. While no one can predict the future, AgriFutures Australia, Agthetic Advisory and the Institute for the Future have teamed up to release a report that explores what Australian food and fibre production and consumption might look like in a future shaped by the growing trends and potential disruptions that are already taking hold today. This week, Ollie Madgett, grape grower and founder of Platform, talks with Sarah Nollett from Authentic about the future forces impacting agriculture, taking a longer look at how climate volatility will not only usher in migration of people, but also shifts in growing regions and methods for production. So hi, I'm Ollie Madgett, and welcome to another Evoke Ag podcast. And I'm joined today by Sarah Nolette, who's one of the partners in Agthentic and one of the busiest people in the ag tech space. So Sarah, thank you so much, you know, for making the time to talk to me today. Of course, Ollie. I don't know if it's good to be known as one of the busiest people, but uh, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> no, no, you do amazing work. And um, like one of the things that's been keeping you busy over the last couple of weeks has been a report that you've been doing with AgriFutures looking at the you know, the possible futures of agriculture over the next decade. And I just wondered, you know, kind of going right into it, if you could talk about some of the forces that working through this report have appeared that you see having like a real potential to shape the future of Australian agriculture. Yeah. So we looked at these high level forces and they're not meant to be comprehensive. Obviously, there are other things impacting Australian agriculture, but these are really the trends and innovations that aren't necessarily novel, but are intensifying and we believe will be quite disruptive in terms of the future of agriculture in both positive and potentially negative ways. So we came up with five of them and the uh, I'll say them kind of at a high level and, and then you can guide me all if you want to dig in. But the first one is around viral mis and disinformation. The second one is around interconnected digital infrastructure. And then we have rewiring the grid. Uh, domesticating the cell and new geographies of climate change. So a whole range of kind of technological, social, environmental factors uh, that are shifting food and fiber production in different ways. No, and um, I think well, I'd, I'd really, I'm really passionate um, about climate change. So I think it would be great if we can go a bit deeper there to start with. But one, like I actually read this report uh, last night, and I genuinely enjoyed reading it and. Like it felt really fresh and insightful and made me stop and really think. And I know you guys um, worked with the Institute of the Future. Uh, and I just wondered if you could kind of tell me a little bit about them because I'd never heard of them and um, how that collaboration happened and what that's kind of brought to the report. Yeah, sure. So the our, our partner on this was the Institute for the Future, IFTF, and they are a futuring organization. And probably we would have been the first ones to say that we were a bit skeptical of partnering with the futuring organization. You know, we, we as a company policy have a no fluff uh, kind of focus and, and mandate, and yet futuring can be pretty fluffy. But we absolutely loved partnering with IFTF and, and know they're really well-renowned. They've been around for many years and specialize in a foresight methodology where they 
look at different trends in the future, weak signals, strong signals, and take you from foresight to insight to action. So it's not only about coming up with these futures and these scenarios, but also bringing them to life and helping stakeholders say, what would this mean for me? And whether it's true or not, how would I actually change what I'm doing today to take advantage of or be prepared for or capitalize on some of these forces that are shifting uh, the world around us? So that methodology has been super helpful and really great to be able to write a report that isn't just about the high level, but actually has aspects of the project and the report that tries to bring it down to the, the real so what for different players in the agriculture system in Australia. It would be great. Would you mind just talking a little bit about some of those people and scenarios that you use to help people kind of imagine themselves in this future? Yeah, so we try to have the forces, you know, the five ones I just mentioned shaping things. And then we've got seven different forecasts that are meant to sort of bring to life the intersecting forces and and what they might mean for different areas. But we also know that even that can be kind of theoretical. We try to give really practical examples. But we had four very, um, we think, kind of provocative scenarios where we actually put you know, uh, a day in the life of a different person who might be going through one of these futures that we're imagining. So one, for example, was uh, around, we called the war room. And basically there was uh, a woman named Zoe in this possible future. And she's sitting somewhere in a, uh, in a brand in, in a food brand and facing a disparagement or a misinformation campaign against her brand. And at first she sort of thinks that it's not really a big deal and then starts to realize that all the forces of technology are being used against her brand and has to figure out how to respond. And so it's it's provocative in terms of, you know, we already see different campaigns and challenges around science and who do we trust. But if you combine that with all of these technologies and social media and influencers and algorithms, that's kind of weaponizing some of this information in, in a negative sense, you know, what does that mean for the roles of different people in, in organizations, in marketing or in cybersecurity? And so we try to bring that to life uh, with this war room scenario. Going a bit deeper in terms of like the new geographies of climate change, which is one of those five forces. How are you, you know, you were saying you were looking for kind of weak and strong signals. What are you starting to see out there, which is pointing to this future starting to kind of happen and unravel before us? Yeah, I mean, the new geographies of climate change force is really about the increasing frequency and severity of extreme weather events and increasing climate volatility. And we're seeing that, of course, uh, around the world, but especially in Australia in the last few years with bushfires and droughts and things. And so one strategy is that people and animals and plants will need to adapt. And, you know, maybe migration is one way that they might look at it, you know, moving to different regions. And in Australia, we see that in a couple of ways. And, and maybe you you are seeing this as well, you know, one is around um, wine and what wine varieties we can actually grow in different regions, depending on what climatic zones are there and, and what the weather patterns are and the requirements of grapes to yield different characteristics. So that's that's kind of one we're seeing. I don't, I don't know if that one particularly resonated with you as a grape grower. Totally. Well, I, I am. We're literally, we're harvesting one of the blocks of our vineyard tonight. And I, I come from McLaren Vale, but our neighboring region of Langhorn Creek has been up to this point actually quite famous for a variety called Malbec. And it's like a real speciality of their region, but it's quite finickety with extremes of temperature. And literally over the last, especially when, when things kind of top out over 40 degrees, and literally over the last, I think, four or five seasons, every year Malbec has just been kind of 
really taken out this year. We only had one or two days touching 40, but again, it's ended up being the kind of negative variety in growers kind of arsenal. And I was speaking to the load of people in the region just last week, and they're going to start taking it out. You've literally either going to be putting fans up there to kind of mist your vineyards in crazy days, or it's going to be having to be regrafted or pulled out something you put in, which is just like, it's happening. Yeah. And I think another example we give in the report that just absolutely stunned me in the research we did was globally fisher um, fish populations, given increases in, in water temperatures, like fish are moving to different areas. And so if you've thought about where you want to have assets to do processing of fish that you've harvested, or if you've got um, certain access rights to different fisheries and those fisheries have moved, you've got not only a stranded asset problem, but maybe also a national security conversation or, or international trade or legal issues. And so the new geographies play out in scientific and technical and personal and political realms. Uh, and I, I just found that fascinating. And, you know, in our um, in our industry, they often talk about this kind of, it's in the same time frame, like a $100 billion ag industry by the end of this decade as well. Like, do you, do you feel like this kind of climate change challenge that we face basically means that that is an impossible target? Yeah, it's it's a really tough one for sure. And, and I actually think one of the maybe provocations of this work is what does it even mean? Like what, what is $100 billion? Is it per year for one year? Like once we hit it, are we done? Or is it an average over a five-year period or an average over a 10-year period? Because when we have these severe ups and downs with, with increasing climate volatility, you know, we could have years that totally exceed $100 billion, but years that are way under. And so are we talking about an average? Because I think one of the challenges is our time scale might need to change for how we evaluate some of these things. So for sure, climate volatility will make hitting a goal a challenge, but whether it means it's impossible or we just need to adapt how we think about it or what, in fact, we produce or how much value adding we do or how much we can t- you know, continue to develop technologies, uh, it just might need to change how we actually get there. And I loved one of the things that really stuck out at me in the report was you were saying that already growers are going to start having to make decisions about like trade-offs like yield versus shortened growing season and yeah that totally feels true you know in in wine our vintage is getting really compressed all the varieties are suddenly kind of maturing at the same time and so like totally empathize Mm, yeah, exactly. And, you know, what are the solutions to this? Do you just pick up and move somewhere else? Like that's obviously not a practical solution. So do you produce something else? And then that raises sort of identity challenges around what you've done or skill challenges around what you have access to. So there's a lot of questions and, and it can seem really like a negative thing. I, I also think it opens up opportunities to say, you know, this is a global phenomenon and Australia is going to brand itself as a climate positive producer of food and fiber despite this volatility. And so let's specialize in that brand around that and maybe different regions have opportunities that didn't exist before. So it's it's not all bad, but there are some you know pretty serious things we need to consider. Talking about your kind of multiple hats, like you're obviously one of the partners at Tenacious Ventures. And when you look at this report with that hat on, like where do you see the opportunities coming for kind of entrepreneurs and startups and yeah. yeah i mean one of one of the big areas uh is in the kind of ecosystem services market and this range of ways that producers can help not only to 
even out their, their revenue streams and, and make you know, production viable in different areas by having other sources of income, but also capitalize on some of these trends and whether that's connect more with a consumer because they've got a product that aligns with um, themes around environmental sustainability or sell carbon credits in an offset market or inset into a supply chain and, and get new kind of shirt up market access. Right now, some of that's possible, but some of it isn't until we have enabling technologies. And I think that's where there's some opportunities on, on the investment side. And one of the unlock codes, for example, you know, we, we've made investment in Swarm Farm Robotics. And one of the reasons we're really excited is they, when you have autonomy and, and they have an autonomous agricultural vehicle platform, when you have autonomy, you can do a bunch of precision ag tasks that otherwise aren't possible. So right now it's pretty tough to go out and spot spray weeds because you've got a large piece of equipment and a human and you're solving for these kind of industrial era costs. But if you can go out with a robot, you can chip away at the weed, you can zap a seed bank pre, you know, emergence with the microwave, like you've got all kinds of opportunities and that unlocks not only profitability and lowering the input bill for farmers, but a kind of product that might be more aligned with consumers and might be more resilient from a climate perspective. So all kinds of trends that kind of come together. That's really nice. You're sort of building on from, from that. You know, you make a number of forecasts and specifically with regards to climate change, you're talking about, you know, outside solutions for climate change. Do you mind just kind of unpacking some of those solutions that you can see coming through? Yeah, sure. So obviously, I guess one of the caveats on the report is that we're not, you know, predicting that these things will come true or that these are the solutions that we, you know, definitely need to invest in. They're really meant to be provocations to say, you know, if this does happen or if this did come true, what would it mean for you? And if that came true, what would that mean for you? So again, these aren't meant to be predictions, but more provocations around different kinds of thinking. Um, So one of the ones, and you touched on this, Ollie, is if we have shorter growing seasons, then what does that mean for the kinds of varieties we need? You know, do we need higher yielding, longer growing varieties that extend the season and, um, or or we want to get crops off sooner and reduce climate risk? Or, you know, do we need different kinds of inputs? And and that's true in cropping, um, but it's also true in in livestock when we're solving for different um, drought tolerance and and factors like that. So we we already see that happening. um, And the different technologies we're seeing upstream are enabling those advancements to go even faster and to not only solve for production efficiencies, but also alignment with consumer trends um, and maybe unlocking new premiums or, or access to new supply chains. A total other you know, area that, that might um, come up or that we talk about, at least in the report, is thinking about actually whole new production systems that maybe weren't viable before, but might be viable in this changing climatic landscape. And so, you know, maybe the combination of synthetic biology and and different bioremediation technologies allow us to fix some of these problems that have happened through climatic impacts. And so, you know, if we've got smoke taint that happened because there was a bushfire near a vineyard, again, an example you'd be familiar with, can we kind of use the power of science and technology to, you know, go back and sort of fix that and, and, and introduce different kinds of microbes that were tailored in a way to improve that soil or introduce them into the food and help um, change the smoke profile. And so these are kind of crazy examples, but it's this idea of accepting that these changes are happening and starting to say, well, what are our options? We can leave, we can produce something different, we can produce differently, we can interact act after the fact, or we can try to turn a weakness into a strength, perhaps. Uh, 
And so those are the kinds of thinking we wanted to highlight um, with, with this forecast. Just, you know, you were saying just at the beginning there about, you, you know, you're not making predictions and how dangerous that is. And it was one of the lines that I loved in the report was the greatest function of foresight is not to predict, but to prepare. When you've got all these different people in agriculture that are going to be in the food system who are going to be reading this report, what do you hope that this report will actually achieve? Yeah, I would say, I mean, yeah, I was really heartened by your response to say this feels fresh. I think in agriculture, we can often run the risk of sort of saying the same things over and over again, but not actually taking action to make them any different. And I hope this report maybe hits a nerve in a couple of places and people go, ooh, I didn't like that, or ooh, really? And then the next step might be, I'll talk about that, or I might do something differently, or uh, that keeps me up a little bit at night and feels kind of icky. So I might kind of revisit that and, and think about a different decision. So I, I think that kind of, you know, different perspective and maybe gets people thinking a bit outside of the, of the box. And one thing that can come of that that we're really excited about is maybe some unusual partnerships because one of the big things, and especially around climate, is that these changes are coming faster and the solutions that have worked in the past really won't be good enough for the future. We're really not well equipped to deal with some of these things because the complexity is increasing, the time scales speeding up. And so if we can come up with unusual partnerships because there's a, you know, a nonprofit and a t entrepreneur and a producer of a video platform and a farmer that read this report and somehow need to team up to find a creative solution, then I think that's a really, you know, exciting thing that could come out of this report. Well, that's fantastic. I hope that really comes to bear. And, you know, again, like I read this report with my great growing hat on. It paints quite a challenging picture and vision of the kind of new normal of being a farmer. And like, I wondered how it actually makes you feel about the future personally. Hmm. Yeah, I would say I'm skeptical as a human and somewhat uh, worried, gen genuinely worried about the future given, given climate change. And so um, a lot of this report probably felt like it ran the risk of going pretty negative and painting a pretty dire future. So, and, and I didn't want it to just be okay, and then this cool technology will save us and so we'll be fine. And we really tried to strike a balance of what are genuinely the solutions here. Like if this happens, does that challenge identities, social fabrics, regional communities, and what could come of that that would be positive? And maybe not positive in all cases, but if that's a reality we might face, let's think about how we could solve it. And so it was a good challenge, I think, to be provocative in both directions towards the negative and the positive, because um, maybe I tend to be a bit more skeptical and negative. And so um, wanting to find that balance and genuinely challenging us to come up with those opportunities was uh, um, was intellectually stimulating, but also, I think, incredibly important for, for the sector. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, one of the other things that I took out was as growers in our region, a lot of our work, certainly when we work with precision, is to manage our variability. And it was interesting you were saying that that's actually going to start to shift towards just managing your viability. And yeah, that's quite an arresting thought. Mm, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, it can sound really negative, but viable doesn't have to mean just barely keeping your head above water. It can still mean, you know, thriving amidst that. And so what are the opportunities that might come to bear? Is it getting involved in a synthetic biology type supply chain or diversifying revenue streams? Or, you know, some of those things might seem far away, but thinking about them now can help us prepare for the future. With you giving me advice as a grower, what do you actually think that I should be doing right now? 
Yeah, I would say that looking at the operation and figuring out where the potential vulnerabilities are and really challenging what it would mean to be vulnerable. Like are are the things that feel like risks now going to be the biggest risks in the future and sort of pressure testing those areas in the business. And hopefully this, this report and, you know, this kind of thinking can start to say, um, you know, are my assumptions going to hold true? And if they don't, what would I need to change? And I think there could be, you know, everything from having to produce fully new things to, you know, maybe becoming a social media influencer around very, you know, niche kinds of, of wine production um, or selling a super premium product, or it might be, you know, buying up land in other areas. There's a bunch of tools, some of them both kind of outside the realm of the normal and some of them very much within the realm of normal agriculture. But until you start to ask those questions and challenge those assumptions, it's really hard to know whether any of that would come true. Sarah, that's such a nice way just to kind of round off our little chat. And I would thoroughly, thoroughly advise, you know, anybody listening to this to take the time to to read the report. So you can get it on agrifutures.com.au. It is a really insightful and thought-provoking read. So I just wanted to say thank you again, Sarah, for for all your time. And and again, for, for the whole team's great piece of work. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ollie. Really good to chat. Thanks for listening to the Evoke Ag podcast, which is proudly brought to you by AgriFutures. For further information, head to our website, evokeag.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great day.